Our first scripture reading comes this morning from the first chapter of the Gospel according to John, found on page 87 in the New Testament of your Pew Bible. John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to the Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, where, do you, where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, <coughs> excuse me, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. At this point in our worship service, I showed uh, the congregation the video from our FPCLG uh, at-home worship services from the second Sunday after Epiphany from 2021. And so there was a video for the scripture. The narration is what comes across this audio file and uh, you can enjoy it from there. If you want to go find the original video, I invite you to go to YouTube and using YouTube search, go to FPCLG videos, January 17, 2021. And somewhere in the first few is gonna say, second Sunday after uh, Epiphany, January 17, FPCLG videos. Uh, and you can click through. If you don't want to watch the whole video and just want to jump to the portion that the congregation saw, you can uh, go to the 18 minute, 29 second spot in that video, second Sunday after Epiphany, January 17, 2021, FPCLG videos, uh, and just watch the scripture second. It's about seven and a half minutes long. Uh, sorry for the multimedia and only an audio, but there you go. Thank you for listening. How his mother Hannah had prayed for a baby, how Eli had misunderstood her prayers, accused her of being intoxicated on the feast day. And then she explained, no, I am yearning for a child. Eli let her know that within the next year, Hannah would conceive and have a baby. And so Hannah gave her son Samuel to serve in the temple as an assistant to Eli. We know that she would come each and every year and bring him a new little coat that she had made and check on his well-being. While Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest, Boy Samuel ministered before Eli, and in those days the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. 
the lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called to Samuel. Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. answered, Here I am. Then he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called, Samuel. Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me? My son Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The third time, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel. Samuel got up. went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came 
and stood there, calling as other times, Samuel! Samuel! Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. We know that Samuel responded each time the call was given and finally understood that it was the Lord who was calling him. We also remember that there was a hard message that Samuel had to deliver to Eli the priest about his sons. But do we recall what it was that Eli's sons were doing that brought the condemnation of the Lord in the message of Samuel? Let's look at that in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel. Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priests that whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand while the meat was being boiled and would plunge the fork into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. Whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, Give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the person said to him, let the fat be burned first and then take whatever you want, the servant would answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. The sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, the report I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. If one person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? The sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. We had era videos um, and figured since that rendering was probably about seven hours of my life, I'd want to share them at least twice. Um, I'll, I'll turn the house lights on, and, and uh, here we go. Um, if somebody can go to the pulpit light knob and turn it up to full bright, um, there's another video out there that talks about the use of resistance dimmers on LEDs instead of <laughs> pulse-modulated dimmers, um, and that's what we're experiencing right now is that this is a resistance dimmer on an LED layer, we go. Now it's at full voltage. I did not uh, decide to do this because I knew it was going to be cold and I, you know, it would take a long time to get up this morning. I actually decided to do this earlier in the week before I even knew what the weather report was going to be 
uh, but uh, uh, hopefully I can tie in some meaning as opposed to just entertainment. The gospel lesson raises the question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? At least that's what Nathaniel says when Philip says, look, we found the Messiah, he's Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel's response is, Nazareth, really, are you kidding me? That's not where I thought he was come. Uh, we'd, we'd make the same mistake too, um, I'll, I'll guarantee you. If somebody were to say that uh, we found the Messiah and he came from Mount Greenwood or from Jefferson Park or from Hodgkins, um, I think our reaction would not be too far off from Nathaniel's attitude. And it's a little apologizing. You look at the scholars and they try and figure out, you know, was that some sort of historic uh, insult? No, it was really just Nathaniel being cheeky when Philip said, you know, we found the Messiah. And Nathaniel's response, remember these were pretty young guys and, and they had attitude. Philip just ignores Nathaniel's flippant remark, which I think is great. Um, prone to sarcasm, the best way to make me stop is just ignore me and I'll, I'll stop. And so Philip says, just come on, let's, let's go meet him. What happens next, however, um, is even, even more amusing. And that is at a distance, Jesus sees Nathaniel, um, and who has made this offhand remark about Jesus' hometown, and he looks over and says, well, here's a guy who doesn't bend the truth. And Nathaniel, still with a chip on his shoulder, spins around to Jesus and says, how do you know me? And Jesus says, well... Uh, when you were under the fig tree before Philip even came to you, um, I saw you. And Nathaniel goes all gobsmacked, mystical. How is it that you knew what I was doing even before? Chances are Jesus had maybe walked by the fig tree and saw Nathaniel. So when Philip goes to him and comes to Jesus, there was nothing particularly magical or supernatural, but poor Nathaniel is like, wow. He knew I was under a fig tree. What else we know? And Jesus points out, if you think that's miraculous, just wait. As Shannon pointed out, there are some things that are coming. I want to spend this morning just a few minutes talking about how we read the Bible. Or maybe more selfishly, how I read the Bible. Because it is the Bible, there is the temptation to read it as some sort of mystical and secretive book full of magic spells and incantations. Uh, to the properly initiated, they'll give you some kind of special powers. I read it in the Bible, and so I'm telling you this, so it should have power over you. Nothing is really as it seems, we are told. And it's important to see all of the symbolism behind the words on the page. The problem is, we're constantly being told that it doesn't mean what we think it means. Have you been in those services? You know, where somebody, you, you read a passage, you think you know what it means, and the preacher, oh, no, 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 no. There's a, there's a hidden meaning behind this passage that you have to understand. That's why we give you pledge cards. We're like Nathaniel. One minute we're full of doubt and full of cynicism, and the next minute we're astounded because some secret has been revealed. Is that to say that there's nothing fantastical about Scripture? Well, of course not. There, there are all kinds of stories that contain fantastical images but if we spend a lot of time dwelling on that kind of stuff, I think more often than not, we just miss its meaning. Which brings me to Samuel's mystical encounter with God when he keeps hearing the voice and he thinks it's Eli when he's sleeping up here in the chancel. There are so few stories in the Bible that involve children. 
So if you went to Sunday school in any Christian Sunday school for an extended period of time, you heard the story of little Samuel. He was a young boy. He was serving Eli. Um, We have that story about little Samuel. We have the story of little David killing Goliath. Um, In Sunday school, we leave out the part where David cuts his head off. Um, And the little boy who brings the loaves and the fish for Jesus to be able to feed the 5,000. And that pretty much exhausts the children's greatest hits in the Bible. And so we tell the whole part about Samuel listening, thinking it was Eli, and then Eli finally saying, maybe it's God. And Samuel then says, uh, speak now for thy servant heareth, for those of us who went to Sunday school in the King James Version of the Bible. And, uh, And that's where we end the story. We don't spend a whole lot of time talking about the content of the communication. And I think that's maybe one of the struggles when we focus on the miraculous piece. We talk about what happened and how did it happen, but we don't spend a whole lot of time talking about the content that drove the circumstance. That's why in the video for COVID, by the way, three years ago, we've been through a full lectionary cycle, three years since you sat at home and, uh, and, and, and fast-forwarded through the sermon part and then fast-forwarded through the hymns and maybe listened to a few minutes of Henry's postlude and then said, well, worship's over. Yeah, you missed those days. The reenactment of the second Sunday of Epiphany from 1 Samuel retelling the story, the important part of the story is not that God heard, Samuel heard God's voice, The real important part of the story that mattered to Samuel and to Eli and to the people was that the corruption of Eli's sons was not going to be permitted to stand. Hophni and Phinehas were far too corrupt to continue the priestly line because they were ripping off the people. There was a budget that afforded the priests what they were supposed to take. It was kind of a chance thing with the three-pronged fork into the boiling meat. Whatever came out, that was the priest's portion. But Hophni and Phinehas would reach into the offering plate as the ushers brought it forward and take everything except for the loose change. We also learn in verse 22 of the second chapter that the brothers were also sexual predators. They probably left that out of your Sunday school version too, right? (laughs) I don't remember hearing that about Eli's sons, but it's pretty obvious in the 22nd verse of the second chapter. Did the priestly line of Eli end because of some powerful divine intervention? Or was the corruption so obvious to the people that they would not tolerate their leadership? That if this is how priests behave in your religion, guess what? I want nothing to do with it. When you learn of their level of corruption, it isn't hard to understand that they were going to meet a violent end. It doesn't take a doctorate in biblical theology to realize what happens when the sons of the priest are scoundrels who steal from the people and who abuse their women. We can read this as God intervention. They didn't stand before the altar of the Lord with clean hands and a pure heart. Or we can equally read it as this is what happens in real life when sacrilege involves ripping off and abusing people. You don't need to be mystical to know how this is going to end. 
Please understand, I believe that the Bible is full of miracles, and I'm inclined to believe the miracles, but sometimes our focus is so heavily on the supernatural method that we never understand the clear message. We're here in the season of Epiphany, the second Sunday of Epiphany. It's that part of the church year in which we focus on the gospel being moved from a regional tribal story in Judea uh, that was spoken to a handful of Palestinian Jews in the eastern backwater of the Roman Empire, and it becomes a transformational global phenomenon. And Christian faith did not catch on because the disciples were amazing magicians. The faith caught on because it changed the way that people treated one another. That the miracles always bore a message. And sometimes that message was somewhat mundane, but is accessible, and it was the content of the message that created an epiphany for the world. They took the stories of like Jesus' healing that he would feel heal the forgotten, the women, the Samaritans, the lame, and the lost. And rather than focusing purely on the magic of the miracle, somebody couldn't see and then could see, somebody was lame and then they could walk, their message was, we serve a God who cares about the lame, the lost, the lonely. Because they mattered to Jesus, those were the people that mattered to the disciples. And instead of running around trying to change their physical condition, the healing act of a community that embraced them and called them valid human beings brought for them a healing they did not experience in their bodies alone. They mattered. The message of the gospel isn't found in magic or mystery. It's found in our priorities and our purpose. So, I encourage you to pick up the Bible. Read these amazing stories. Many of them, I gotta tell you, are a little hard to believe. But don't ask, how did it happen, or is that what really happened? Ask yourself, what is this text telling me we're supposed to be doing? When the word of the Lord came to Samuel, and we like to think he's a little kid because we need one more story for Sunday school, he was probably a young man, but when the word of the Lord came to Samuel, what was transformative was not the mystical voice echoing through the sound system of the sanctuary. What was the miracle was that Samuel told Eli that corruption would not be tolerated and that the abuse of his sons would be the end of the priestly succession. That we can understand and perhaps use as a guide for how we treat leaders or how we see our own stewardship of leadership. Don't make God call from heaven for us to figure out how to do it right. Amen? Amen. See, after the video, that was a really short sermon, wasn't it? It was pretty, pretty well. Not sure where he was going with that, but he's done. It's a miracle. Let's stand and in the words of the Apostles' Creed share our confession of faith together. 
I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ. third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen.